0: Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here with you. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to come and share with you and see some familiar faces again and then meet some new friends. And thank you for taking your Friday morning to be here with us. We appreciate that. And we just pray that the Lord would come and help us before I begin, I want to say that um, I'm going to be sharing with you on child training this morning, and I realize that some of you aren't married, you're single, and I just pray that the Lord would encourage your hearts through this, because just because you don't have children now doesn't mean that you won't. <laughs> and maybe some of these things will be helpful to you at some point, point. and then those of us who are older, and ministering to grandchildren, these things are helpful as we minister to grandchildren and help younger women. As older women, were to help the younger women and encourage them. So I pray that all of us would find something this morning that we can apply and use for God's glory. A number of years ago, I was asked to speak at a ladies' conference, a small conference in Tennessee. And I was given an assigned topic. The lady that contacted me asked if I would teach on changes I would make if I could rear my children over again. And I was like, oh, okay, I've never taught on anything like that. But I'll pray about it and see what the Lord gives me. And I prayed and I sought the Lord and I meditated on it and just asked the Lord to help me, and I came up with, there are probably many things I would change, honestly, if I could go back, but I, I felt like the Lord gave me four major things I would do differently, and I would encourage young women to do differently than the way I did when I was rearing my children. Um, as I was meditating on this, I have four children of my own, and I texted each one of them. This was probably about 10 years ago, and I texted each one of them, and I said, I told them what I had been assigned, and I said, now I want you guys to be honest with me. If you would text me and tell me what you think are the biggest mistakes I made as a mom. And our oldest son is very sensitive, and he has a very kind heart, and he texted me back, and he said, Mom, I I don't think it's good to just dwell on mistakes you made and things you did wrong. (laughs) He said, that just gets you down, and I explained to him that it wasn't a time of reflection in um, becoming, it wasn't in despair or defeated or anything like that. But I just wanted to help young mothers not to make the same mistakes that I had made. And so that is my hope, that the Lord would use, redeem my mistakes to help someone else. One well-known preacher said the average Christian is crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the fears of tomorrow, And I have a number of regrets, but they don't debilitate me. And that's not what I'm talking about. And I don't think we should be debilitated by the mistakes we made in the past because God, in his kind sovereignty, even uses our blunders. He uses our mistakes, our shortcomings. And um, so it's not to cripple us. I rest in the fact that the Lord knows my heart. He knew my heart then. My longing way back then as well as today is to see my children love the Lord Jesus and walk with him and serve him. And so they had a weak, frail mother who made many, many mistakes, but God is merciful and I'm so thankful. So the first thing I thought of, if I could go back and change the way I reared my children... I would be consistent in disciplining them. I would be consistent in disciplining them. If you would, we're going to be mostly in Proverbs, but you, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 29, this is the first verse I'm going to look at. Proverbs 29, 15. 20, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, a child left to himself brings shame to both parents, father and mother, but it's interesting to me that the mother is particularly mentioned here because the mother is doing so much of the child training in the home. Of course, the father is too, but typically moms with the child a lot more. She's with the children and she's pouring into them. Another verse is Proverbs 13:24. Proverbs 13:24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligence, that's what we're talking about. Is being diligent. One commentator, Albert Barnes, said the mother who yields weakly is as guilty of a that's weakly w e a k l y who yields weakly is as guilty of abandoning the child she spoils as if she cast him out. And for her evil neglect, there shall fall upon her the righteous punishment of shame. Now I don't think I spoiled my children. And I did discipline, they were disciplined, but I was often inconsistent in my discipline. And it's so important to be consistent. And my husband and I talked about this quite a bit when I was working on this lesson, and we agreed that if we could go back as a team, we wouldn't be as strict, he wouldn't be as strict. My husband was a strict disciplinarian, and I would not be as lenient. And, you know, most of us are prone to go too far one way or the other. And so we need God's grace to be balanced in our discipline. I, I would try to make sure that he and I were on the same page, that we were working together. Um, my husband has been an itinerant evangelist our whole married life for 46 years. And in the early years, when we have two boys and then we had a little bit of a gap and had two girls. And in the early years when our boys were young, I didn't travel with my husband very much. I was at home. And so I was the primary disciplinarian. And if I could go back, I would not let them get away with things that I know their father would have disciplined them for had he been there. I would have tried to reinforce what he was instilling in them. Um, I grew up in a a difficult family situation. My father was angry much of the time, very harsh. I love him. I don't want to dishonor him. Um, But because of that, and because of many things, you know, there are so many things that influence us. I think my temperament, my spiritual gift, um, and because my husband was gone a lot, often I was tired. I was homeschooling four children And I was tired, and sometimes, probably many times, I was just lazy. And so I didn't discipline as consistently as I should have, even when I knew that they should be disciplined. So if I could go back, I would work to be more unified with my husband in the discipline of our children and administer appropriate discipline consistently. I would do that for the good of my children. And when that's your goal, you see the importance of disciplining promptly and consistently because you're not disciplining out of anger or frustration, but for the good of the child and also for the glory of God, primarily for the glory of God. And we need to discipline our children because, you see, they have a terrible problem. They have the same problem we have, and that is their sin nature. They're born with a sin nature. And Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. You see, sin isn't just present in our children. It's bound up in their hearts. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, put it this way. He said, there's a knot tied between the soul and sin, a true lover's knot. It's bound in their hearts. Don and I used to work with Brother Paul Washer and his wife, Charo. In the church we were in, we had many young men who came to be Mentored by Brother Paul, and so Brother Paul and my husband would meet with the young men once a week, and then Charles and I would meet with the young women and um just encourage them and mentor them and So we had lots of little babies born around that time. We had all these young couples around us that wants little babies, and I would love to see the newborn babies and usually, I would take them and look at them, and I would say such a sweet little bundle of depravity. And they'd look at me, i like, yep, yeah, they're sweet, they're precious, but they're depraved. But when my first grandchild was born, she was so sweet and so innocent. And I remember we were at the hospital, and my husband and I, along with my daughter's in-laws, were in the waiting room there at the nursery And when our son-in-law brought the baby out for us to hold, the first time I held her, I looked at her father-in-law, and he had already had like six grandchildren. This was our first. And I said, I know the Bible teaches original sin. I know in my head they're born in sin. But she's so perfect. She's so sweet and innocent. And Steve looked at me and he said, oh, give it just a few months. (laughs) You'll see that sin nature. And it really didn't take that long to see that she had a sin nature just like the rest of us. And so children must be corrected. And Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says, do not withhold discipline from a child. For if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So that verse tells me that if I was withholding discipline from my children, I was disobeying God. And in his commentary, Matthew Henry also said, Many times it's difficult for a tender parent, a tender-hearted parent, to administer discipline. But they know they must. And he went on to say, a wise parent gives gentle correction. And I want to make that very clear when I teach on this. I am not talking about beating children. Child abuse is the leading cause of death in children under the age of three in the United States. So I am not talking about beating a child. We're not seeking to bodily harm them. We're seeking to correct them. And so... We need to spank in appropriate ways for the age and size of the child. And our overriding desire should always be for the glory of God to obey the Lord, never to vent anger or frustration. And the scripture assures us if we're administering that rod properly, we're not going to kill him. Now, sometimes they cry like they're dying, like you're killing them but you're not going to kill them. And on the contrary, Mr. Henry says, when it's given with wisdom, designed for good, these things are so important, administered with wisdom, designed for good, accompanied with prayer, and blessed of God, it may prove a happy means of preventing his utter destruction and delivering his soul from hell. So our first concern should be the glory of God And the good of our children. Always keeping in mind that this is for the good of our children. So, if you're sitting here and you feel guilty or you feel condemned, because, you know, most of us, most women have not been perfect in being consistent in disciplining their children. And the Lord convicts you that you've been wrong. It's sin. Confess it to him. He delights to hear us confess and admit our weaknesses and confess that we need his wisdom. We need him. Confess to your husband if you have not been supporting him in the discipline of the children. Ask his forgiveness. Confess it to your children. A number of times, I went to my children and I was like, okay, God has dealt with me again. I have not been faithful. And then... Explain. When your child disobeys or they sass you, they talk back, they're disrespectful, you need to take them into a room alone. Don't humiliate them in front of other people. Because again, this is for the good of the child. So we don't want to humiliate them. Take them alone in a room when you you can, as soon as you can, and calmly explain what they did wrong. So many mistakes when we spank children in anger. Often they, don't, they may not even know what they did wrong. Explain to them what they have done wrong. Make sure before you spank that they knew they weren't supposed to do it. That's another thing. We shouldn't spank children if they didn't know that they did something they weren't supposed to do. Make sure that, they, that you've been clear what they are not supposed to do. Explain to them, pray with them, explain to them, you've not only disobeyed mom, but you've dishonored God. You've disobeyed God. And then firmly administer a switch or a paddle or whatever you use. And again, remembering it's not to injure them. I like personally a little keen switch. That's what my mother used on us. And you're never in danger of really hurting the child, but boy, those things hurt. They sting. And so you remember, the child remembers. I I remember one time Don had spanked our second son, Aaron. Now Aaron probably got more spankings than the other three put together. And now he's the pastor today, but (laughs) he was our rebel and he got so many spankings. And when he was just a little guy... Don was sitting in his office at his desk one day and he had spanked Aaron the day before for something. I don't remember the offense. But Aaron was just maybe four or five years old and he walked into his dad's office and Don said he just came over and laid his head on Don's shoulder and he said, Daddy, you remember how you spanked me yesterday for whatever it was? And Don said, yes, son. And he said, I was just tempted to do that again, but the sting from yesterday prevented me from doing it again. (laughs) And that's the purpose of discipline, is correcting their behavior, not punishing, but correcting. And so lastly, pray with them and reassure them of your love for them. Now, you may think, boy, this sounds time-consuming, and it does take time and that's why a lot of us didn't do it or don't do it consistently. It does take time. It takes effort. It takes discipline on our part, but your child and the glory of God are worth it. They are worth it. And I read that Grady Wilson, who was an associate evangelist with the with Billy Graham, said when he was growing up there was a leather strap hanging in their kitchen and his mother had a little plaque beside it that said, I need thee every hour. (laughs) Well, at first you may feel like I'm spanking all the time. And when, when couples have come to us for counsel on child training, we hear that sometimes. I feel like I'm spanking them all the time. Well, if you haven't been disciplining and you have a six or seven or eight year old, you're going to be spending a lot of time correcting. But if you're faithful and consistent, it becomes less and less you don't have to discipline that child as much as they get older if they're trained properly. So the second thing I would change if I could relive my child-rearing days is I would spend more time asking the Lord help me not to get angry. I would I would deal more more diligently with anger. Um And I think this is related to the first, because if you're consistent in disciplining your child, you're not going to be nearly as prone to get angry. But when you wait, you're going to get a spanking if you do that again. You're going to get a spanking if you do that again. I've been there. I've done it. And you keep doing that, then you become angry because you know what? Without discipline, the child is going to keep doing it again. And so then you become angry And you're much less likely to get angry if you're prompt and consistent in your discipline. I'm almost embarrassed to share this illustration. And I prayed about it last night and I was like, Lord, this is so humbling to share this. But I feel like the Lord would have me share it. When my kids were young, we had gone to a large homeschool conference. And one of the speakers had talked about the importance of keeping your word. If you promise your children something, then keep your word. you tell them you're going to take them to the park or take them to the library or whatever it is they're wanting to do, keep your word. But also, if you tell them, I'm going to spank you, keep your word. Do what you say you will do. Well, one day, I had a particularly hard day in our homeschooling. It was one of those days when I was like, there is a school bus that comes right by this house. And I don't know why I'm not putting these kids on that bus. But my oldest son just, it was a trial the whole morning. And I should have stopped and dealt with the behavior. But, you know, I was right. I wanted to get through school. And it takes time to stop and go discipline. And I, I didn't want to be so late finishing school. So we stopped for lunch, and we went upstairs to have lunch, and as I was over in the kitchen making lunch, my oldest son was sitting at the table, and he said something. I, I, nobody remembers what he said. Everybody remembers what I said. <laughs> he said something, and I just looked over at him. I stopped what I was doing, and I said, one more comment from you and you are going to be picking your head up off the floor and reattaching it to your body and he just very calmly said mom you're going to have a really hard time carrying out that promise and the other kids began to snicker and laugh and I was smitten in my heart because if I had dealt with it I wouldn't have gotten to the point that I was so irritated I would make a comment like that. Now, to this day, my family jokes about that. They tease me about Now it's a big joke. But, you know, every time they make the comment, do that again, you're going to be picking up your head and reattaching it to your body. <laughs> I am smitten in my heart. And I have this regret in my heart for the times that I said things like that. And so I, I really believe some of the most painful memories I have are the times that I became really angry with my children. And I've wished so many times I could live those times over again. I could redo that. But, you know, we can't redo it. We learn from it, though. And these things aren't wasted if we learn from them and can help other people learn from them. Proverbs 29, says, an angry man stirs up strife. When we're angry, we stir up strife in our husband, in our children, in whoever it is we're expressing anger to. A furious man abounds in transgression. Proverbs 14, 29 says, a man of quick temper acts foolishly like I did. You get angry and you become irrational. You say foolish things like I did. You you act foolishly. And just as Solomon wrote, an angry person doesn't help things at all. It doesn't do one bit of good. In fact, it just stirs up more strife. It complicates things. If your children are not cooperating, they're disobeying, and you become angry with them, it won't accomplish anything good. It just upsets them, and you may be able to get your children to immediately obey, obey you with your anger, but it will never produce genuine repentance. It will never produce anything good, and it will just damage your relationship in the long run if that is ongoing, if it's a consistent thing. I don't want to put anybody in bondage. We're all going to get irritated at times, we're going to get impatient. We're going to lose our temper. But we need to be careful that we don't make excuses for that. Well, it's my temperament. It's just the way I am. It's their fault. We need to deal with it. In fact, James tells us in James 1.20, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God, man's wrath, his anger never produces brokenness or repentance or any true righteousness in our children or other people. It takes a work of God to change the hearts of our children. He must work. No human approach can do that. And when we remember that, we won't get as frustrated and irritated God has to do this work, and when we lose our tempers, it's not righteous, and it's not going to produce righteousness. So I don't want to put anyone on a guilt trip, but perhaps God is dealing with you. I have an anger problem. I need to look to the Lord to help me, and my encouragement to you is He will. He will help you. If you're asking, okay, how do I deal with this? I consistently get angry with my child or my children. First, again, the same thing. Confess it to the Lord as sin. Don't point fingers at other people. Don't make excuses. Confess it as sin. Confess to your children. I've sinned against you. It grieves the Lord when I get angry. And then determined by God's grace and with his help to be slow to anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And maybe I've had some women say to me, I just can't control my anger. I just, I just can't control it. And I tell them, if you're a Christian, that's not true. That's not true because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. In your flesh, you can't control your anger. But the Holy Spirit is in you and he will help you. One of the fruit of his presence is self-control. Sometimes people say they can't control their anger, but if I ask, well, do you get angry in front of everyone? Well, no, they'll admit no. Well, if you can control your anger in front of your pastor and your mother-in-law and your neighbor, then you can control it in front of your husband and your children. Some of you probably know the story of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, And and I love this familiar story. I thought of it many times when my children were growing up. She had 19 children. Only 10 of them, I think, lived to adulthood. But Susanna Wesley was alone much of the time. Her husband was a minister in the Church of England, and he would be gone for long periods of time. They struggled with debts. One time he spent a year in prison because of their debts. One time, he got upset with her over something silly and left her his family for a year, and so she often was at home alone with her children. She was educating them, but I remember as a young woman reading her biography and reading how sometimes when she would get angry or upset with, or she felt the anger coming, you know, and you know when it's coming, she would pull her apron over her head. And her children knew, don't bother Mama when she's got her apron over her head because she's talking to the Lord. And so I began, after reading that with my children, if I knew we were doing homeschool was my testing ground. (laughs) And we were doing school, and I knew I could feel it rising. I'm getting upset. I would tell the kids, I I have to go upstairs upstairs. You you work independently. I have to go upstairs. I would go to my bedroom and fall on my knees by my bed and cry out to the Lord to help me, to help me to be patient and kind and long-suffering and to represent him properly before my children. And he would. He would help me. And you know what my kids learned? If mama has to do that four or five times a day, we're not going to finish school till bedtime. <laughs> so... The Lord helps. We find um, that it's, a, it's an opportunity to acknowledge our utter dependence on Him. We need Him. We need Him desperately. It's an opportunity to express to our children we need the Lord in everything we do. We're all weak and needy and frail. James 1.19 gives us some good counsel. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Someone, he said, that's why the Lord gave us two ears and one tongue, one mouth. We're to be quick to hear and slow to speak. So part of this, I think, is taking time to listen to your children Really listen to them. Look at them when they're trying to talk to you. That's another thing I would do differently. I was so often preoccupied with meals, with planning school, with good things, church activities, pre- preparing for guests. But I would, if I could go back, I'd stop more times than I did and just look at them and listen to them train yourself to speak softly to your children. Proverbs 15:1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you learn to speak softly and tenderly to your children, it will turn away anger. I don't mean coddle them when they've been disobedient or disrespectful, but instead of getting angry or harsh, speak gently. And, you know, some of us aren't as prone to speak gently, but you can train yourself to speak more gently. Don't use harsh words with your children. Think before you speak. Don't hurt them with your words. We should never verbally attack our children or our grandchildren. Calling them names, demeaning them, um, harsh belittling words will provoke children to anger. And you know, Ephesians 6, 4 says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture, the training, the admonition of the Lord. Well, the third thing I would change if I had the privilege to rear my children again is that I would express my love more frequently and in more tangible ways. I loved my kids. I adore my children but I would have been more conscious to express my love to them, not only verbally, but in tangible ways. You know, in Titus 2, the older women are instructed to teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. This is one of the things we're to teach the young women. And you wouldn't think that mothers would need to be taught to love their children. I mean, Most moms do love their children. There's probably not a mother or a grandmother in this room that wouldn't lay down her life for her children or her grandchildren. But the Greek word there, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I can use a lexicon, and the Greek word there is an affectionate, friendship type of love. We older ladies should be training the young women to take every opportunity to express this type of love to their children. I've met many older women in my travels who have many regrets about the way they reared their children, but you know I've never had one single lady say to me, I think I loved them too much. I think I loved them too much. You will never go wrong in showing love to your children. Love never fails. Um, As I was thinking on this i was thinking it's such a good thing for all of us as moms and wives to memorize 1 Corinthians 13 because sometimes we we say we love but do we really love especially verses 4 and 5 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant and rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I think it's a good thing for us to consistently reflect on the scripture and ask ourselves, am I showing love to my family, to my husband, to my children, to my, those I go to church with, to my neighbors, We show love by putting this passage of scripture into practice. And our children feel loved when we're patient and we're kind with them. They don't feel love if we're consistently irritable and rude and unkind. This word in the Greek indicates tenderness, tenderness. And some women just don't naturally have a tenderhearted disposition It's just not who they are, but you know, I believe any woman can learn to express compassion because we're told to put on hearts of compassion, even when she doesn't feel very sympathetic. And you know, if you keep expressing it, eventually you will begin to feel compassion. A book that had a great impact on me as a young woman is The Tapestry by Edith Schaefer. She wrote about ways that we can express love to our families. And even though I only read that book once and I was just a young woman, it had such an impact on me that I still to this day remember things that I read in that book. She wrote about the special opportunity that we have to show love and compassion when our family members are sick, ways that we can minister to them, bringing medicine bringing cold or hot drinks, wiping their brow, changing their sheets, reading aloud to them. I remember when I was a little girl, about 10 years old, a strain of flu went through and it was called the Hong Kong flu. And I was so sick. I was very, very sick. And my mom was a single mom And she worked a full-time job. I was the oldest of five children. And so my mother was very busy and very exhausted much of the time. But she stayed home from work. And I remember sleeping on the sofa because I shared a bed with my two younger sisters. And she didn't want me in the bed with them. So sleeping on the sofa. And one night she stayed up with me all night. Wiping my brow. Trying to bring my fever down. Bringing me cold drinks. And that was over 50 years ago, and I have never forgotten it. It made such an impact on me. And we need to ask the Lord to show us opportunities we can take. My mother wasn't even a Christian then. She didn't know the scriptures. She didn't even pray with me. Well, maybe she did pray with me. I don't remember. But I just remember how loved I knew that my mom loved me and cared about me. And so we need to look for opportunities that don't come along all the time. Don't let those opportunities pass. You have teenage girls. I remember when my girls were teenagers, I thought sometimes, why do all of their problems surface at midnight? (laughs) Sit up late at night talking with them, counseling with them, praying with them. But, you know, those opportunities don't last forever. And so take opportunities when they arise to minister to your children. You can also be more loving by expressing affection and delight in your children. We are to have the same attitude toward children that the Lord has. The very passage of scripture that our sister read in Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who has his quiver full. Do you think your children realize that you look at them as a gift? Do you recognize them as a gift from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord? Do they think that you see them as a burden or a gift? God gave them to you. He blessed you with these precious gifts and he wants you to love them and tenderly care for them. We should not look at children the same way the world does. There's no place in the Christian faith for anything other than tender, cherishing love and joy for children. When we first started, my husband works with Heart Cry Missionary Society and when we first started working with Brother Paul Washer, his Boys were young. They had two boys, and then they had kind of a big gap and two girls. And the boys were young. And I remember I loved to watch Brother Paul with his children because he could be sitting in a room of people and talking, but if his children came in, his face would light up. And he would hug them and embrace them and kiss them and show delight in them. And it was such a precious thing. It was an encouraging thing. I felt the same way with Bethany's dad. I used to love to watch your dad with you guys, the way he would so tenderly love them and listen to them. So, delighting in them means listening. If I would go back, I would take more time to carefully listen to my children without being distracted, and not just listening to their words, but trying to hear their heart. I'm kind of a black and white kind of person. I'm not a real emotional, let's let's talk this thing out and work through all the emotions. It's just not who I am. And we have to learn, some of us especially have to learn, to listen to people's hearts, To hear the heart behind the words. Sometimes there's deeper things going on, especially with our teens, than just what they express with their words. If I could go back, I'd have more fun with my kids. I'd have more fun with my kids. Delighting in them is enjoying them. And we did have fun together as a family. We often played ball in the backyard and we went to playgrounds and parks, and we did have fun, but I would have done it more regularly, and I would have been less conscious of the impression my kids were making on others. We traveled a lot. My husband was a traveling preacher. We traveled in a motor home, all six of us, and so my kids were constantly on display before other people, and they, they were criticized, we were criticized, and you become sensitive but if I could go back, I wouldn't be as conscious of what other people thought of my children. I would be more aware of the glory of God and loving loving my kids. I wouldn't have been as concerned about them making straight A's. Education's important to me. So I was one of those Nazi homeschool moms. But if I could go back, making straight A's wouldn't have had such a High priority on my list. And I would have been more conscious of just enjoying life. Now, I'm not saying if you homeschool, don't educate your children. I'm not saying that. But I wouldn't go to the extreme that I did. I would have enjoyed them more. A third way to express love to our children is to devote time to them. You cannot really show love to someone unless you give time unless you're willing to spend time. That's such an important ingredient in being a loving mother. It takes time to properly discipline our children. It takes time to seize opportunities to show kindness and compassion. It takes time to express affection and delight. And it takes time to teach your children the scriptures and the ways of God. All of these things take time, but they're so important and they're so worth it. If you allow yourself to listen to the world, you'll begin to believe that I don't have time to do all this. But you know what? If God gives you children, he always gives us the time and the grace to do what he has called us to do. Always. And sometimes we might have to stop and reorder our priorities. But don't blame him that I don't have time. We have to consider how we're using our time and make sure that we're prioritizing it right. In one of her books, Elizabeth George points out that in every chapter of Edith Schaeffer's book, another great book, What is a Family? Edith reminds us, Edith Schaeffer wrote this. Someone has to create family memories and undertake the wondrous task of having the family become a work of art. Someone has to be the nest maker, an interior decorator. Someone has to take time to pray and plan surprises. Someone must see the family as worth fighting for, worth calling a career, worth the hard work of training a child and running a home. And then Mrs. George wrote on and on, Mrs. Schaefer writes, showing the reader that this someone is the wife the mother, the homemaker, and that as such, she must embrace the life of being a giver. That is our role as mothers. We are called to give. A fourth way we love our children is to teach them the ways of God. If you do all these other things, but you're not pointing them to Christ, it'll end in futility. So what if you raise well-behaved, good citizens, hard work ethic, but they don't love Christ. We must teach them the ways of God. It's so important that we ourselves continue to develop a love for God's Word. And in turn, we teach His Word to our children. This is a top priority, is our own walk with God. And it's the scripture that the Lord will use to draw our children to himself. So we need to look for opportunities to share the scriptures with our children. If you would turn with me to one other scripture, I'm almost done. Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. I've. Heard this shared in homeschool conferences and child training conferences and things like that, but so often they just begin with verse 7, to diligently teach these things to your children. But I think we need to look back at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They need to be on our heart first. They will be empty words that fall to the ground if we try to teach them to our children and they're not in our own hearts. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We're to teach our children the words of God at all kinds of opportunities, when they're going to bed, when they're getting up, when they're working beside us, when we're playing with them, when they're hurting, when they're rejoicing over something. We look for opportunities to share God's word in the ways of God, but it has to be real in our heart first, so that it's not just mechanical, but it's real and it's fresh. And that brings me to the last and the most important thing I would change if I was given the opportunity to rear my children again, and that is I would be more Christ-centered in my parenting. I would be more gospel-centered. I would try to put the gospel of Jesus at the center of everything. If I could go back, I'd spend more time in the scriptures. I'd spend more time in prayer, praying for my children, praying with my children. And you know as we spend time with the Lord we're transformed into his image that's what 2 Corinthians 3:18 tells us we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another that's our goal isn't it to be like Christ and the greatest thing you can do for your children is spend time with the Lord know him love him. Ask him to give you more of a glimpse of himself, to deepen your love for him, your understanding for him. And it, it's so easy. I understand you young moms. It's so easy you're, to get up in the throat, caught up in the throes of cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and cleaning up messes and nursing babies and homeschooling children. And you, you're busy Church activities, ball games, music lessons. Life is busy. But you need to be so careful not to neglect the most important thing. And that is your own walk with God. And so if I could go back, I would take my children back to the gospel. Over and over and over again. We came from a very legalistic background. Very legalistic denomination that we were in. And we were very, very strict with our children. And as Don and I talked, he said, you know, if I could go back, we wouldn't have been so strict on so many minor things. And when we did enforce biblical standards, I would have tried to be more careful to always take my children back to the gospel to reinforce their thinking, ingrain in them that the law would never make them righteous in God's eyes, that we obey God because of what he's done for us, because we love him and we want to honor him. We want to bring him glory. I would be more aware of giving my children gospel promises and gospel warnings and diligently seek to teach them life from a biblical perspective, always looking to the Lord to teach them and what his purposes are in every situation. I would try to seek to train my children to be more aware of living for the glory of God, teaching them that life doesn't revolve around them, doesn't revolve around their family. It revolves around Christ and bringing him glory. That's our purpose on this earth. Is to bring Him glory. So ladies, I've opened my heart up to you today because this is not about me. It's not about my children. It's not about what you think of me. It's not about you or your family. It's about Christ. Are we living to bring Him glory? Are we training our children with the purpose of bringing Him glory? Because that's what this whole life is about. He deserves to be glorified. And I pray that he would help us with these things to obey his word, to follow his pattern in our homes, to train our children in his ways and to do it all for the glory of God. So thank you so much for allowing me to share. And I don't even know, I didn't bring my phone up here, so I don't even know what the time is. But Leah, I'm going to have you come up and if we have time for some questions, I'll let you facilitate that. Or a comment or a testimony. Yes, ma'am.
1: Good morning. Thank you for coming. Um, Thank you. I have a 17-year-old and a newborn. I'm very fresh <laughs> in parenting, so I want to, like, caveat my question with that. But um, you talked about putting your kids to the gospel and to Christ. Um reminding them Mm -hmm. how do you navigate knowing that your children aren't saved with expecting them to you know honor the Lord Mm -hmm. if they don't have yes you know
0: yes I I think it's important for us to communicate to our children as they come to understanding that we are seeking we're weak we make mistakes but we are seeking to live according to the scriptures, because we love Christ, and we want them to love Christ, but we want to obey God. And I remember one time when our children were young, my husband actually talked to Brother Bob Jennings about this, and I was sitting there benefiting from the conversation. And he said, do you have your children pray, even though they're not believers yet? And how do we... How do we navigate this thing of requiring obedience, but communicating to them that it's for the glory of God. And our brother Bob was so wise. And I remember him saying, yes, we have our children pray. Because we want them to learn to pray. And we want them to learn that God hears prayer and he answers prayer. And, and he, I think he may have used the example of Cornelius, that God heard his prayers and he wasn't even converted yet. But God heard his prayers and saw his heart, and he did save him. And so we're just training them that this, this is not a foreign way of life. This is how we live. This is what we do when we have needs. And, and also requiring obedience because we want to see our children come to the Lord, but we also, they're, they're in a much better place to do that if they have been taught to sit to listen, to obey, and and so um, I think it just requires wisdom that we're not trying to convince our children that they're little Christians, but always pointing them to Christ. And I like my little granddaughter came to me. I don't know, maybe a year ago. She's nine now, and about a year ago, she actually she and I were in the car together. And we were talking about something. She's in the back seat. And she said, Grammy, sometimes it's just so hard to be good. I want to be good. And sometimes it's so hard. And I said, you're right, Phoebe. It's hard to be good. Because the Bible says there is none good. We're not good. Our hearts are not good. But that's why Jesus came and died. And it was an opportunity to share the gospel with her again. And so, um but still she prays when we're together. Sometimes Dawn will have the grandchildren pray and she'll pray and uh she questions and we're still teaching her to be obedient. But um and and that's another thing. Teaching them obedience does is it like the law, it like the scripture says the law does, it teaches them that they can't do it on their own. They need Christ to help them. So that's a great question. And it changes as your children grow. Of course, at the age of your little ones, it's different than it's going to be when they're eight and nine. But thank you. That's a really good question. And someone else may have something else to share. I am not the fount of all wisdom up here. So Judy... Yes, amen, that's good, that's good, yeah. Any other questions or comments? Yes, ma'am.
2: Um, in your first point, you talk about being consistent with your children and seeking to honor your husband, you know, what he would expect from you. Uh, what would you say or encourage maybe those uh, sisters who may not have a consistent husband? And
1: they
2: feel like
1: the
2: load of discipline falls on them. Mm-hmm. And like, how would you encourage them? I have children. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you encourage them to like press on and know that, you know, this
0: is good? Yes. of that trial itself. Well, it would be a little different if your husband's a Christian or if he's lost, but if he's a Christian, um, I would very lovingly and gently talk with him about these things biblically um, and ask him you know, to help bear the load of the discipline as the head of the home and you can do that in such a way that you're not belittling him or demeaning him, you haven't done this you haven't done that, but rather I, I need your help and I think the children would benefit so much from you taking more of a leading role, role in this sharing with him scripturally and biblically and praying for him but um, not badgering him because that's not going to help. And then just continue to pray for him and do what the Lord has shown you to do. And sometimes if a woman has a lost husband or um, a husband who's not diligent in these things or a husband like Susanna Wesley had, She has to bear the bulk of the discipline, and it's just just what God has for her. And if that is the case, I would really seek encouragement from godly women that you see that are disciplining their children and are doing a good job of it, doing it properly. Ask for accountability, for, for prayer, for counsel, for wisdom from those you see or maybe some older women that you see that have walked in these things. And God may even place an older woman in your life who has walked through the very same thing or even a younger woman that you can be accountable to each other. But it, that's, it's, it's much more difficult when the husband's not on board. But God still calls us to obey in, you know as much as, as we can obey. And does someone else have something, an encouragement for this sister? Yes, ma'am. I
3: just learned this like, I don't know, two seconds ago, but actually, I don't think Jenny would mind me sharing, but I was really inspired by something that happened at Jenny Montgomery's house the other day, where it was something I didn't even notice or think about, um, but it was like an opportunity that she had missed in disciplining one of our children. But she said specifically that her daughter, Jane, who's actually the one who later on said, Mom, like, I kind of noticed that, you know, you met her their god a believer. And I didn't tell you this yet, Jenny, but I was so inspired by Jane and by your mothering of Jane, the fact that she was able to identify something like that and then privately, though, share it with you later. Like, I just thought that was so... Like, what a way to honor your parents. And I took inspiration from that with my husband, where I feel like sometimes... In front of the children, like, I mean, no matter how, you know, saved your husband is, <laughs> like, yes, how strong of a believer he is, like, I'm, I'm sure that everyone in here sees things that they help their husband, like, you know, yes, make, like, identify, yes. And, like, I, I have had a heart to not be like, you know, oh, Jonathan, don't do that kind of thing, but I realized with that, Judy, that there are times like it can wait, like, you're saying, even with your own children, take them in a room quietly, and so I've had a like. Oh, sorry, like, and I wish that I would just keep my mouth shut completely in front of the children and wait completely until they're not there to, to offer that up. Like, hey,
0: That's so this, good. Yes,
3: I wish I would just completely show submission to my husband in that, like I saw Jane submitting to you. I just thought like that was really beautiful and encouraging.
0: That is so good. Yes, not correcting him in front of the children, but waiting. T-
2: <laughs> yes,
0: that that's a good word. And to be wise. in when you discuss these things, you know, the timing of when you discuss these things is important. Not after you've just gotten angry and frustrated with the kids, but waiting until you're calm and you can sit down quietly and discuss it together. Thank you. That's very beneficial. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am.
2: I have a question. I'm not married or anything, and my mom's here. Um,
3: But like, just from a kid's point of view, if there is something, and your dad is there and just being completely unreasonable and harsh and. And hmm Like there are times when my mom would had, did step in mm-hmm. and just put a stop to that. Mm-hmm. And like from a kid's point of view, I appreciated
0: that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I don't know, just often that situation.
0: Thank you. Yeah. The the difficulty with discussions like this is that there are so many variables different circumstances different situations and there are times when a mother needs to step in and so we just we need such wisdom from the lord but i appreciate that perspective from a child's point of view and i think that's another reason it's so important to really be plugged into our local church because the elders can help give wisdom in those things um I'll just give you one illustration. I should have, I don't, help me keep a check on the time, but I'll give you an illustration. Um, My husband and I believe very strongly in biblical submission that a wife should be submitted to her husband, but we had a lady come to us, I don't know, maybe two years ago, and she was in a church in town. But she, a friend of hers went to our church and had recommended that she come and talk to Don and I, and for 15 years, her husband had really been mistreating, she and their children. She had seven children, I think, and, but because she was in a very hyper-patriarchal type atmosphere, if you know what I'm talking about, um... She said they had gone for counseling with their pastors for 15 years, and every time they would go, she would get a new book on submission. They would hand her another book on submission. She had 1 Peter 3 memorized about submitting to your husbands, even if they don't obey the word, um, submitting to them without a word. And that's important, but it's not the answer to every problem in every home. And... As she was sharing with us, she was so careful. She did not want to dishonor her husband, and I really respected her heart. She did not want to dishonor him. But as she is sharing things that was consistently happening with she and the children, Dawn and I just looked at each other, and he said, Sister, I am very, very slow to use the word abuse because it's so overused in our culture. But he said this is really abuse and we rarely counsel a woman to leave her husband but he said for the safety of your children I think you need to leave the home or he either he needs to leave the home temporarily until you get help and work these things out because it was a horrible environment for the children and um So you have to take every situation that I don't I can't remember if we've ever given that specific counsel before in 46 years of ministry. So you have to take every situation separately. There's not one pat answer for everything. And I feel like too often in the circles we were in early on, the answer was always it was the woman's fault. She needed to submit more. Nail, the pendulum has swung in so much of what I see. It's always the man's fault. And it, neither one is right. Every situation is different. And so anyway, there are times when the mother has to step in for her own safety, the safety of the children. So anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, he would have been more lenient on outward things. For example, I'll think of a couple of specific illustrations. We were in a, a large church in the Atlanta area, about 600 people, 90% of whom homeschooled. It's very conservative. Um, we were part of a homeschool network that was very conservative. And um, I remember one morning we were getting ready for church and our 16 15 16 year old son professed to know Christ he didn't he was converted later but he professed to know Christ and he and Don had a battle over him buttoning the cuffs of his shirt because at our church that people saw that as rebellious if he came in with his shirt sleeves just flapping in the wind and and Think just silly, silly things like that that have no purpose except that you're wanting to impress other people with how your kids look. Those are the kinds of things we would go back and change. I remember one time um, as our girls moved into their teens and we were seeing the damage in all of this heavy burdens and legalism. And my husband was an elder in the church and a couple of people came to him and they were upset because our daughters would wear skirts to their knees, but the skirts weren't long. They were just to their knees. They'd never wore skirts above their knees, but they didn't like it that they didn't work longer. And they would also wear dangly earrings, which they thought was worldly. And at that point, my husband said, we're, we're not doing this and our daughters were converted, but he said, this is not a modesty issue. This is not a biblical issue, this is extra biblical. And so those are the kinds of things I'm talking about, That particularly with our boys. By the time the girls were older, we were seeing a lot of the dangers in that. But just not burdening your children with unnecessary rules and, that have no biblical purpose, no biblical basis. Does that make sense? Yes,
3: ma'am. How do you not discourage your child if they say they've been, or they're professing, Mm -hmm. how do Mm -hmm. not like, yeah, just discourage them to the point of doubt and never having assurance or certainty because Mm -hmm. in the beginning it was not true and then later on I'm not sure, you know, just how do you go about encouraging them and then leading them on
0: in their profession? Um, Brother Bob also helped us with that. (laughs) We learned so much from Bethany's dad. I remember we were at their home when Zach professed Christ. He came to his dad and he said he had trusted Christ. And he was a little boy. I don't remember how old. But Brother Bob and Terry were just rejoicing and we were all rejoicing. And Don talked to him about it. How do we... How should we handle this? And Bob said, Well, I just see in the New Testament when someone professed Christ, there was rejoicing, and we treated they were treated as a Christian unless something happened to prove otherwise. And and he was either grappling with do we still go ahead and baptize, let Zach get baptized, or do we wait? And I remember he and Don talking about that. And he said, "I just never see in the New Testament where they made people wait." And we we have been taught you wait until there's real fruit of repentance, and you're confident that. And, and brother Bob said, "I just don't see. I don't see that." But he said, "You know, you're you're not teaching your children and and impressing on them. You're converted now. You're converted. You're saved." you're always teaching them. If you really know the Lord, you're going to follow the Lord. You're going to continue in his ways. You're not teaching carnal Christianity, but neither are you discouraging. We actually had a pastor in Kansas called on last week, last Sunday, rejoicing because it seemed that the Lord had saved their eight-year-old son. And he said, Wyatt came to us after church crying, and he said he's been asking really good questions for a while, and he was crying, and he said, Daddy, I really love Jesus, and I believe Jesus has saved me, and I want to follow him. And Dexter said, I talked to him at length, and he said, you know, we don't know with anyone, we don't know right away, time tells, but he said, it seems like he's genuine, And it was the same question, how do I handle this? And Dawn said, rejoice with him, pray with him, keep instructing him, keep teaching him. And if he's not really converted, we trust God will save him. And you're not teaching him that you're saved now, this is it. You know, write it in your Bible, you know for sure. You're teaching him you love Christ, you're following Christ, and just teaching him the scriptures, just like you would any other Christian. And Don, and one of his questions was, Should I go ahead and let him be baptized? And he said, Unless something happens to make you believe he's not a Christian, I would go ahead and baptize him. And again, explaining what baptism truly is that it doesn't have any saving grace in it. It's not going to save him, it's not going to make him any more holy. But it's an identification with Christ and stress to him the importance of baptism. You're identifying with Jesus before everyone. But he said immediately his son wanted to tell all of his friends, he wanted to tell everyone that Jesus was his savior. And so I think that's a balanced way to handle it. And we're so prone to extremes, we're so prone to extremes on one side or the other, and I just think that's a balanced biblical way to handle it. Somebody else may have insight on that. Yes, ma'am. Just an experience with one of my sons. He was a minor to and uh, he was always a really good kid.
3: So it was kind of hard to, like, see. Him. Yes. just a kid, and I would constantly talk to him in a way that was very discouraging to him. Just
0: because I didn't want to give hope. yes, I would say things like, if you're a yes,
3: that or that. and I was trying to like not take away that confidence he had, but not give him false hope. And he told me recently how that was really discouraging for him. So maybe just like really just accepting their salvation. And actually, this time right here counseled me years ago to like, just keep pointing to Christ,
0: amen, just... amen. That's really good. Thank you. Very good. Yes, ma'am. I was going to say, years ago, Tim, I did a Bible study. I think it was titled, How Can I Leave My Child
3: to Christ? And that completely transformed the way that I spoke to my children about coming to Christ because prior to that, I would have this mindset of, like, repent and believe the gospel. It's kind of something like you need to
1: repent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, say, yes. But children that are raised
3: in a Christian home, it's often so much more gradual. Yes. And it's really
1: um harmful to, to be putting pressure for this moment.
0: Yes. I've
1: been doing that with my children. I actually
3: went back and apologized to my oldest daughter, so that was before she was really safe. But instead, he, he recommended that
0: go through the Gospels and see
3: how Jesus
0: actually mm. he mm. called his disciples it was always come
3: follow me come follow me Amen. and as a, as a Christian mom I just totally transformed like, I need to telling my children
2: like, come follow me as I <coughs> the Lord truly saves them along the way it's great but I'm not putting so much stuff in that moment or putting pressure on
0: i Yes, I do I want Yes. Amen. Amen. that's so that's so good i know with our a couple of our own children because as i said we traveled my husband preached in churches my kids were under more preaching than any other kids i knew they were in meetings four five six nights a week and they heard much hard strong preaching against carnal christianity and so a couple of our children after they had truly trust one who had not truly trusted Christ, but one who had um, really struggled with assurance of salvation, because they're always looking for fruit. And do I really see fruit? Do I really see evidence? And becoming introspective, you know, are my motives pure? Am I am I really following Christ because I love Him and all of that kind of thing? And I was looking for the scripture. I have forgotten my reference, but it's in John. Somebody else might know it. But Jesus said, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And I can't quote the next verse exactly, but it's something to the effect, all those who come to me will keep coming to me. And Don would tell them, Jesus has promised you're coming to him. He's not going to cast you out, but you keep coming to him keep coming to him. And I think that's really good, not stressing so much a one-time decision or moment, because for a lot of children who grow, grow up in Christian homes, it is a gradual understanding. And I think both of my daughters would say, I don't know exactly when I was converted. But I know Jesus changed my heart at some point. And that's okay. That's okay. So that's really good. Anyone else? Yes, him. Is that me? Yes, Tia, sorry. No, no, that's okay.
1: You talked
2: about anger and wishing that you'd
0: pray more
1: know why they're getting um, disciplined, mm-hmm. and so do you think a lot of that anger was like you're saying, like, I'm going to spank you, I'm going to spank you, kind of the kind of threat, but you wouldn't go Yes. Threat, kind of yes. So how did you clearly communicate, okay, this is what I expect of you, this is Yeah. So this is what is, is okay, or just being consistent so that you're not getting
0: frustrated. Yes. And that changes as, as they grow, too, and they're under, they understand more. But um, I'm trying to think of something with one of my children or grandchildren as an example. A child may do something that you don't want them to do, but they don't realize that they shouldn't have done it. And so it's really not just to spank them when they don't even understand. It wasn't out of rebellion Or anything like that. It was just they hadn't been taught yet. They didn't know. But once they... And my our oldest... Our our second son is really big on this. Like, I'm not going to spank my child unless I know that he realizes I've told him before. So he said, I I always give them a warning. If I'm not sure that we have properly communicated to them, this is something you're not supposed to do. Um, For instance... The kids are not supposed to go into his study, his office, and pull books off of the shelf. Well, the first time a child does that, if you've never told them not to do that, then you wouldn't discipline them. You would instruct them. These are daddy's books. You don't just walk in and take daddy's books off of the shelf. You ask dad first. Well, then if they do it, they have disobeyed. And then you, you discipline but that's what I meant by that. We need to be careful, especially with little children. We don't discipline them when they don't know. They do something in innocence that they don't know they weren't supposed to do. Does that make sense to you?
2: Kind of in hand hand with that, I'm just trying to think of when the child is like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in homes where like the child may not fully cognitively understand mm-hmm. But the kid knows, right?
0: Yes. Thing. And it's like you do you still talk to
1: them? Like, no, you don't throw your head back, even though they yes. don't know what that
0: means. Yeah. And
2: because sometimes we can uh underestimate their understanding and then we let it go.
0: That's absolutely so true.
2: practically like <laughs> it would call for a spanking, even though they may not fully understand it, because they're, like, throwing their head back
0: because they didn't get the food on the board. That That's a good illustration, too, yes. there're With little ones at that age, as a parent, you usually know when it's an act of rebellion, anger, than when it's something else. And Bethany might be better capable to share on this because... I've had several people tell me how much you and James have helped them with their child training, but with a little one, do you have something to add, Bethany, about knowing when to discipline and when not? Um, As far as I'm at a young age. Yeah.
3: I guess guess I'm just thinking. I'd say they're sticking something in the outlet or touching the outlet. Um, Part of it is there may
0: be a gentle first flicking hand and telling them no, so you're training them. Yes. Yes. And then if they continue to rebel and touch it, then they have to get a little stronger. Yes. So, yeah, initially, yeah, you're training them what no means. Yeah. there may need to be a little pain with that. Yeah. And they associate no with eye
2: contact. To yeah.
0: yeah. That's good. That's good. And what about you, Bethany, or someone else, discerning when a little one, like around 18 months or so, is displaying anger, and anybody have something on that? Knowing when I'm, I remember, yes, ma'am. I think it just turns out I say that my daughter, our youngest, is 14 months, and
1: she we have two other little ones. So during dinner months, whatever it is, I'm there cutting, making sure.
0: Yeah. But I think it's just the mothers being with your children day in, day out. You can tell yeah. when there's that anger, or that rebellion. Yeah. Even a 14 month old when she's not getting fed right then and there. Yeah. Uh, versus something like, you know, they're in danger. Yes. It. Yeah. And it's just over time, I
1: think the Lord feels that wisdom to know when it's a
0: and it is amazing how early they know. I, I've been a, you forget when your children are the ages of my children, how early they realize, because even watching my little grandchildren, you tell them no, and then you see them trying to do it again, but they're watching you to see if you're looking. so early. So yeah, I think that's good. Being with your child and knowing your child, and that's good. And I've noticed even at that age, the, when the parents take them out of the room, with mm-hmm. they there is there, important. Yeah, 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 that, that's true. Yes. I have a
3: question concerning family members in that same role that I play as a nurturer to my nieces and nephews that are the same age as my children. And how to not how to follow up with the boundaries that you set. Um, how to when parents when their parents are around or um, this and that. And what that's a very broad question. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I'm not sure if I totally understand, but I'll try to answer. A lot of it depends on the other parents because you want to respect the wishes of the parents while also trying to keep the boundaries with your own children. And I know as grandparents, it's kind of tricky. Um, And we try to always respect the wishes of our children with their children, just like we wanted our parents to do when we were training ours. And I know with... um, My son, for example, his oldest little boy's name is Spurgeon. And I just love Spurgeon to death. He was our first grandson. And I went down when his sister Evangeline was born. Spurgeon would have been about three, maybe. And I was very hesitant to spank him. But she had heart problems, was in the children's hospital for A couple of weeks and so I was primarily with him his dad would come back and forth from the hospital but I was primarily with Spurgeon and after about four days Aaron came in one day and I don't remember and they were doing a very good job of disciplining him and training him and I don't remember what happened but Aaron looked at me and he said mom have you been spanking him and I said well no And he said, you have to spank him. He'll be a terror by the time the baby gets out of the hospital if you don't spank him. And so I did. And it didn't take but one or two spankings, because I don't like spanking my grandchildren. (laughs) But I do, I do spank them, especially if we have them for an extended period. But it didn't take but once or twice. And once Spurgeon realized... Grammy will actually spank me. <laughs> I didn't have to do it very much after that. But then I have another child who really doesn't want us to spank as the grandparents. And that's a little more challenging, but I try to honor. And so um, as they have, those children have gotten older, we, when they're in our house, I told her they their little one, I said, I'm sorry, I cannot keep this child for a week and not spank him, as a two-year-old, a very wild two-year-old. And so she said, okay, feel free to spank him if he needs it. But the others are a little bit older now, and so we discipline in other ways. We take away privileges, or um, my husband has a golden... A treasure box with golden coins that the kids can earn. My son said a work salvation, but it's not a work <laughs> salvation. <laughs> it's little fake golden coins that they earn when um, they are helpful, when they're kind, and and then at the end of their time with us, we redeem them and we take them to the dollar store or Walmart and they get a prize, but. Anyway, we do other things like that to reinforce. Um, And as far as you have your own children, I think you just have to keep doing what you would normally do with your children. And you're setting an example with your own children. And that's difficult because a lot of times if you have children who are not being taught the same thing, then it's an influence in in the home, and it influences your children, but they have to know that you're going to be consistent, even if someone else is disciplining their children different or not disciplining. So does that answer at all what you were looking for? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Jim. I'll let her go so she has an answer. Okay.
1: Okay, uh, um, okay so as far as
3: disciplining teenagers, mm-hmm. um, if they don't have much to take away, I mean, <laughs> not that they don't have much, but they seem fine if you take away, like, TV, like, some, a little bit of their TV time, mm-hmm. or they seem okay with taking away their book. you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, how do you, like, what I'm struggling with is, how do I find that thing and know that it's working? Um, and then also, um,
0: like with boys, my like we like to give hard labor for discipline when they're teenagers. Have to hard labor. Oh, uh huh, uh huh. Um, but for as far as young ladies,
3: would you have any advice
0: on that? Uh, with the teenagers, I would just really pray and ask the Lord for wisdom as to know what to take away because every everyone's different. What, what to take away, um, and even I don't know. Someone else may have more wisdom than I do on this. I struggle. My husband also would give our boys hard labor when they disobeyed, but I don't. I struggle with that in a way because I don't want them to think of work as evil, as bad, you know, as a punishment. Work is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. And so I kind of, I think you just have to really pray for wisdom for your family. Um, And there, there may be a task, though, that your daughter really doesn't like doing, but it's a necessary task, and you require her to do it as part of her correction. But again, I think letting them know, I'm not trying to punish you, but this is a correction for whatever the offense was. And somebody else may have more wisdom in that because there again, there are ways that we disciplined our kids and I don't know that I would do it all exactly the way we did even in the teen years, but I do, I do remember there were times when they were really looking forward to doing something with friends, family from the church or whatever, and because of an offense, that privilege was taken away. And it was, like, devastating at times. But it it actually had an impact on them because um, they they wanted that time. It was a special time.
2: Um, I, I'm not going to say anything, but just an example. We had a family over that had, like, three teenagers. And we were going to watch the trilogy of Lord of the Rings, and it wasn't really, like, one of the movies. So it was, like, a thing we were doing with them one time they showed up and they had one of their daughters just sit elsewhere and do schoolwork and I'm just like is she not going to watch a movie and mom's like well she decided not to do her work and lie and lie about it so like the mom knew that that's what like got to her and was yeah. more hurtful and humiliating not like she wanted to humiliate her but like I'm here at yeah, this house yeah. doing work and my siblings are watching laundry.
1: Uh,
0: because yeah, I guess that worked for her. Up, that woman so thirteen year old. Yeah, and I remember times when that seemed to be effective with our teenage children. And I would because my spiritual gift is mercy. I am a mercy shower, <laughs> and God puts mercy showers with prophets so many times to balance each other out. And so I would be like. You're really not going to let them do that? Oh, that's so sad. That's going to break their hearts. But my husband is very strong, and he, yes, they lost that privilege. And so um, even though it was hard for me at times, I think it was an effective means of discipline. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. the same vein of her question, but the mm-hmm. opposite. Mm-hmm. So when you're the grandparent um, and you're not honoring what your kids, mm-hmm. how they want you to um, interact mm-hmm. with their children, mm-hmm. how would you advise, like me, advise or talking to my mom or dad or in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. about correcting that mm-hmm. or, like? Honoring them, but still wanting to say, I don't want you to do this with my child. Mm -hmm. I want you to do this, but they're not doing
0: it. That is such a fine line. And again, every individual family has different nuances. I think we should seek to honor our parents and our in-laws as far as we can to honor them, to show them respect, even when we disagree. And I remember there were times both sets of parents, even though they disciplined us when we were growing up, they did not, they hated it when we spanked the children. And in the beginning, there was conflict at times over that. If we were at their house and we spanked, there was conflict. And so we tried to make sure that... Even when they were little, we would take them somewhere else. So the grandparents didn't hear it, didn't see it, didn't. um, So they knew we're not trying to offend you. We're just trying to do what we believe is biblically right. Um, My my dad was not a Christian. And I remember with our children, when we would go to his house, the television would be on 24-7. The TV was always on. We did not want our children just planted in front of a television. And it it wasn't received very well. You, and you have to really be diplomatic and gracious in dealing with those things. And so what I started doing, if we were there, we wouldn't stay very long. You know, we wouldn't have long, lengthy visits there because they weren't healthy for the kids. But I did want to see my dad, and I wanted them to know my dad. We lived in different states far away from each other. So, But when we would go, we would tell the children beforehand, we do not want you just sitting in the den. I want you to go out back and play outside, or there were some games downstairs. You can go downstairs and play games. But do not just plant yourself in front of the TV. Well, then very often if we as the adults were on the back porch or somewhere else and I'd walk in the den and the TV was on, I'd just turn the TV off. Not say anything, not make a big deal about it, I'd just turn it off. And then it's not a temptation for my children. And so I think just asking the Lord to give you a kind, gracious heart that, you know, you're not wanting to make a big deal over everything or cause offense, but also a heart that's going to guard your children Um, and we just need, parents need lots of wisdom. There's so many things to navigate, and we stayed in a lot of homes in the beginning before we had a travel trailer. We would travel and stay in homes. I remember one time we were in a home. I don't remember what the action figure was, something we didn't let our boys play with, and we're sitting in the living room with these people that are gracious to have us in their home, and our little boy comes running out, Daddy, Daddy, they have, I don't remember what it was, He-Man or something, in their room. And we were so embarrassed. Like, oh. But there were other times when they had to stay in a bedroom where there would be rock posters of rock musicians and things like that. And so that's when we began really praying, God, would you provide something for us to travel in? so that we're not always staying in homes for people that we don't know and don't have the same convictions. And the TV was a big thing. So many people have the TV on. I can't believe how many people have the TV on all the time. Um, So I, I think we just, parents need a lot of wisdom in navigating those individual situations. And... The heart is a big thing. So many times in the Scripture we see its motive and heart. And so asking the Lord to give us pure hearts. We want to love our parents, honor them, but also protect our children and guard them. So just a lot of wisdom from the Lord. And, you know, it's, I would encourage you young moms with specific things like this to go to some of the older women in the church or to your elders, pastors, and get wisdom from them. Ask them specific things like this. I need guidance or wisdom, and then you can give specific details and and they know you and they know your family, so that can be really helpful. You guys want to do-
2: questions
0: yeah. thank you so much I hope this has been profitable so I'll close
1: this in prayer and
3: then